The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Okay, so I'll begin again. Welcome. It's nice seeing you all. And for those of you who were here last week, uh, maybe I'll start by saying uh, on the recording that uh, Tanya won't be here this evening. She's sick, so we'll send her some goodwill, some good vibes, some healing energies. May she feel better soon. And so last week we talked about the hindrance of doubt. Even though in the classic list of these hindrances, doubt is always last. But um, Tonya and I talked about it, and it's really helpful to do that one first, because it can be uh, a number of reasons. One is it can be really helpful to have some experience uh, practicing with it, including practicing with it in the context of other hindrances. This idea of, am I doing it right? Is this, is the teachings right? Is this right? And there can be this sense of like, I don't know, this kind of uh, uh, vacillation, hesitation, unsettledness around it, this kind of questioning. And so last week we sent you off with a little bit of homework. It's kind of funny to say that word, homework, but opportunities, let's say that, opportunities to uh, practice or to work with it. And whether or not you actually did it, this idea of before each session of meditation, remind yourself of those things that give you confidence in the practice. It doesn't actually have to be confidence in the practice. It can be confidence in yourself. A friend of mine recently had to do some medical treatment, which was actually quite uncomfortable. And she was like, I don't know. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do this. Even though it would have been really beneficial for her. And I said to her, but you've done lots of difficult things in your life. Maybe this is one more thing you can do. And that made a big difference for her to remind herself that yes, she has done difficult things. And that we do have some capacity Maybe not exactly what's been asked for there, but we have overcome difficulties, adversity in the past. So maybe I'd like to just check in and see, did anybody, if it, whether you did or didn't do it, what do you imagine if you didn't do it might be the effect of if you have this opportunity to remind yourself of something that, um, that gives you confidence and or to open it up if there's any questions or comments from last week about this, both the hindrance of doubt and the practice, the main tool that we're using for this practice, R-A-F-T. I'll remind us of that as we go on the class, but recognize, allow, feel, and tease apart. So now I'd like to hear from any of you not sure where the microphones are. Oh, there they go. Great, thank you. Hello. Um, I don't think this is uncommon, but I noticed that 
now that I can name doubt, it seems like it came up. It probably didn't come up more. It's just that I was more aware of it um, because I asked for it to be sort of highlighted or shown to me. Um, And I feel like I used to only be able to experience R, where I could just recognize. And I'm getting more used to A, but I feel like I'm just sort of at raw, raw, raw. There's no... The FT is still something that I'm kind of reaching for. Um, but I do see a growth into Fantastic. A. So I hope as I keep practicing that that I'll allow more space for the rest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it may be that recognize and allow is all that's needed. And maybe you just stay there with that skill and for years. Don't underestimate how powerful it is. You even said like, oh, wait, just being able to recognize is making you help you to notice. And then maybe when you notice, you're not quite as much under the sway of it. Maybe some of the doubt, I don't know, maybe I should ask you, does it feel like it's some of the authority or the strength or the power of it? is changed when you recognize it or yes definitely i feel like for many years i was just just a bouncing ball without any ability to recognize anything so it is definitely very helpful and there's opportunity there for peace mm. Um, there you go. Yeah. Maybe you don't need the F and the T. Maybe the F and the T feeling and T's apart will show up. But I, I just kind of want to applaud that this is the recognizing and allowing. These are really, really powerful tools, really powerful ways to meet whatever difficulty we're having. It's great. Thank you for sharing that. Anybody else have a comment or a question? I just, I really love this idea of imbuing yourself with confidence in advance of your, of of meditating. Because I think so many of us are like, all right, here I go. I'm going to be so bad at it. (laughs) Heading for the cushion. Um, and I, you, uh, it reminds me of a theater director I knew who said t- to the kids who were auditioning, practice feeling successful, hmm. which I loved. And, it, and also just to have awareness around when you are and, you know, endorse ourselves and recognize when we're having little victories. Yeah, I find it helps me. Yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you. Sometimes we can have a habit of dismissing these little victories. Like, oh, that doesn't matter. That's That self-critical voice is more important. But I love what you're saying. Just to acknowledge, yes, this is part of our life experience too. We have difficulties, but we also have some victories. 
and to kind of welcome all of them in. And this is like, this is the, all our human nature, our human condition. We have both. But we, to, we just often have a bias to just notice the, you know, this feeling like, oh, I need, I should be able to do this. Obviously, everybody else can do it. We might have this feeling like, oh, I'm the only one. But meditation is not easy. It's not complicated necessarily, but that doesn't mean it's easy. Great. Thank you. Anybody else have a comment, question? Let's see. So can we send a microphone back? Thank you. Yeah, yeah. These are just to help you work with the obstacles or things that are getting in the way. If they're not getting in the way, then there's no need. These are this is just about you know developing tools, capacities, and things like that. Yeah, no requirement to look at these. So one thing that affects um, both our meditation and our life off the cushion, so to speak, are daily life, of course, is the amount of energy we have. Sometimes it feels like it's too much and that we're fidgety and bouncing off the walls and just can't want to you know, bolt, get up and run out the tour. And sometimes it feels like we can barely stay awake, right? This kind of feeling. We see, have this both, sometimes in meditation it gets highlighted, but often we can have this um, in all aspects of our life where the energy feels a little too high or it feels too low. So first I'll start with when the energy feels a little bit too low. Kind of in the um, classic Buddhist teachings, this is called sloth and torpor. I love these words. These are not in my usual vocabulary, but they're kind of uh, funny words. Torpor. It kind of feels, you know, really, uh, I don't know, slow and sloth. Right? I kind of like these words. So when, when we use sloth and torpor, <laughs> I'm kind of amusing myself with these words. When they um, arise doesn't mean that there isn't absolutely any energy. It just means that we don't have access to it. Because you might have this experience, like in meditation, where you're falling asleep. There's not any brightness. There isn't any um, uprightness or any clarity. And then as soon as the bell rings, you're like, oh, okay, phew, that's over. Then you get up and you have energy again and you go and have a meal or do whatever's next. I've had a lot of that experience on meditation retreats of some of these long retreats, some of them just feeling kind of foggy and like, oh my gosh, I I can barely stay awake. And then just being amazed as soon as the end of the meditation period, I felt perfectly fine. It was just then, somehow during meditation, this arises. 
So probably all of you have a certain idea of what this feels like. We can break it up um, into the sensations that are in the body and sensations that are in the mind. You might have some familiarity with one more than the other. And sometimes people um, will use this word sloth is more for the sensations in the body and torpor is more for the sensations in the mind, but it doesn't matter so much. So in the body, what does it feel like? It feels like heaviness. It's maybe like this uh, blanket, kind of really heavy blanket weighing on us. It can feel like maybe drooping, like this. Well, literally, right? If you're falling asleep, there's this kind of collapsing, you know, collapsing around the chest, falling forward. There can be a sense of everything is like jello somehow, like you're in jello or mud or something. And then we might not have quite as much familiarity with what the mind is like when we're doing that. So the mind can be, of course, dreamy. There can be these kind of wispy, um, I forgot what the word is right now, slips my mind, hypnagogic, I guess, like where you're kind of awake but kind of asleep. So the, the thoughts can have a little bit of this wispy feeling, a little bit dreamy, like some of what's happening you know is real and some isn't quite real. It's a fascinating state actually to watch that. It can also be a, somehow like a sinking feeling, like the mind just doesn't have some uprightness or brightness. Instead it's just sunk down. And there's a way in which it can't, the mind can't quite connect with anything. Like things are a little bit slippery or things aren't quite there. You want to connect with an experience and it's just not quite there somehow. But also maybe one of the hallmarks of the sloth and torpor with the mind and the way that it's um, really affects meditation is in the way that there isn't this mental agility. There isn't a mental pliability. There isn't a mental malleability. Sometimes we think that meditation is just about sinking into these states. Well, they may be a little bit pleasant for a while. They, after a while, they feel there can be a feeling of kind of stuck there. Whereas with meditation, we're looking for or the experiences with some brightness, with some sense of capacity, some sense of um, having a, a, a being able to move the mind if one wants to, instead of it just being kind of stuck in mud. So this experience of sloth and torpor is very common, especially uh, for new meditators. And uh, interestingly, they've even done some scientific studies that show that the amount of this, whether it's in the body or in the mind, um, decreases with the more meditation experience you have. So it's something that's very common in the beginning. It's not surprising that it arises. Often we associate meditation with relaxation. Even with guided meditations, right? there'll be a focus on a relaxing 
but we just, through our lives, perhaps have an association of relaxation with sleeping. So just kind of this, this habitual response as soon as relaxation equals ready for sleep. But not only that, in our lives, we it's not uncommon to just run our lives on the energy that we find from the stimulation. Stimulation from interacting with other people. Stimulation from interacting with our phone. Interacting with the internet in some way. Or maybe we have this stimulation for this sense of needing to get everything done on our to-do list. And that may be like caffeinating our lives in some way, these stimulation. And then when we meditate and that stimulation goes away, we just may, A, not be used to, what is it like to have some alertness when we're not always being poked and prodded a little bit? Or we may be exhausted and just not have noticed because we're propping ourselves up with all these different types of stimulation. So it may be that we are just sleep deprived and we need to sleep. That may be part of uh, what sloth and torpor are, that may be that simple. Sometimes it's hard to know. But more subtle forms of sloth and torpor may arise. This may arise from wanting to avoid certain difficulties we're having. There's a certain type of shutting down, a certain type of collapsing that happens that prevents us or protects us from experiencing, dealing with, working with something that's troubling for us. And for some reason we don't feel quite ready or we want to turn away from. So it's a kind of a a mechanism in which we don't have to deal with things. This collapsing. There will also be a certain amount of complacency that slides into sloth and torpor. Once we figure like, okay, I'm a little bit calm and I have um, some mindfulness on the, the breath or whatever we may be doing, there may just be a sense like, okay, I've been there, done that, and just kind of slide into what we often call the sinking mind. It's um, In the beginning, it might feel a little bit pleasant because it's a little bit cozy, but it's like being stuck in, um, in cotton that's kind of sticky. At first, it feels like, oh, this is pleasant, but then it starts to feel unpleasant because you can't quite find your way out and you can't quite connect to anything and you're not asleep and you're not awake and it often can be um, takes a little bit of practice to recognize that it's actually a dead end it feels like oh this may be the way forward because it's a certain amount of relaxation but it turns out to be a cul-de-sac and then the energy drains out and you kind of get stuck there So some things that we can do, of course, um, to work with uh, senses of uh, sloth and torpor are to sit up straighter. It's um, not so common to see people who are, who are not using the backrest to be falling asleep, but it's, when we're sitting in the chair, we often 
are using the backrest, and that somehow allows uh, the let's say this to not use the backrest requires a little bit more um, energy, just a little bit, and that little bit more of energy is enough to kind of keep some alertness in the mind. Also, of course, we can stand up. Sometimes if those of you who have done meditation treats will know this, it's not uncommon for somebody to just very quietly stand up. You're less likely to fall asleep if you're standing up. Sometimes people will stand, uh, do stand meditation with their eyes open and their gaze averted down. You can also do the same thing when you're sitting, just to open up your eyes. The, the Bringing in the light can do a lot to... Um, Keep uh, one some alertness there. And one thing that we can do also is to um, bring in this idea of mental noting. To, so use the mind to help this. So give the mind a little task to do so that the mind has a little bit of busyness that will kind of keep it uh, more awake and um, on the task. So that the noting can be just as simple as when there's an in-breath to notice in and make a quiet little whisper of a a word in your mind or out. Or maybe it's the word inhale, exhale. And if you feel like you need even more, you could do something. Some people like to do um, like the inhale and then maybe a pressure point. So inhale, pressure. And you could be feeling like the pressure of the chair or the cushion against your body. So in a relaxed way, but giving your mind a task or something to do. This can also support some brightness in the mind. So maybe some things that uh, um, support this feeling of um, sloth and torpor Maybe there's just some discontent and that kind of wants us to disconnect from what's happening. And maybe it's just as simple as eating too much. Just like, okay, I just had a big meal, right? And that's part of promoting that. So that's a little bit of what it's like when there isn't enough energy, when energy's too low. Are there any comments or questions? Yeah, can we can we send a microphone? Oh, there you have one. Okay. You said in the beginning, uh, no access. Yeah. Would you refine that? Yeah. So what I meant by that is, I kind of gave this little story that um, it's not that the energy is completely gone. It's just that the conditions that we're in right now means that the energy is not being expressed. So what I mean is that like maybe during meditation we're falling asleep, but as soon as the bell rings, we have enough energy to get up and walk away and do whatever we want to do. So energy exists. We're just not tapping into it. As opposed to like, you know, when we're really, really sick, right? We there's just energy doesn't exist. So it's uh this points to the possibility that we can bring that energy into our meditation. We absolutely can. But at that time, right now, it's just not happening. And so part of this practice and working with the hindrances is to allow that to happen. 
to allow that energy to come into our meditation. Yeah, Kristen. Yeah, so I feel like I get in those hip. I don't know how to say that. Yeah, thing. I don't know no. either. <laughs> hip, no, Hypnagogic or something like that. that Hypnagogic state. or something. I do think I fall into that state a lot, and I was told by another teacher that if I start kind of having those kind of nonsensical, and for me they get very visual thoughts, that is, means I'm not. I need to bring some more energy. And so I think the last time it happened, I actually did sit up straighter. And it still didn't get better. <laughs> so I'm not really sure how to work with that. Because I feel if I stand up, maybe that's too much energy. But um, it does seem to happen quite a bit. Especially in the guided meditations. Yeah. Have you tried opening your eyes? No. Yeah. Opening your eyes makes a big difference. Because right? then there's some visual stimuli. And it really puts a t- tamper on those kind of the dreamy state something like this i can recommend that do you keep them open for a long time or just for a little and then you close them again yeah so um this is definitely something you have to kind of experiment and play with there can be this pull to want to like close the eyes and slip into there and so it even the energy of keeping the eyes open may be just what's needed to kind of uh, keep the energy into the in the meditation you're welcome So let's talk a little bit about when energy is too high. Maybe I'd like to hear from you guys. What does that feel like when the energy is too high? Restlessness. What is that? What, what's that experience like? Probably all of us have had that at some point. You can just say something out loud and I'll repeat it with the microphone. You can just... Yeah bouncing balls inside in a too small room. Bing, 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 bing. That kind of a feeling, yeah. Great, thank you. Anybody else? What, what does that feel like? Kind of when there's restlessness. It's like mental itching. Oh, nice. Mental itching. Nice. Sometimes if it's really high, it actually, I allow it to, to give me a reason yeah, it can give us a reason to not keep sitting. So it can make it really hard to stay. There's also, yeah, this feeling like I have to get up, right? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thoughts get less coherent. Yeah, jumping topics. Nonsensical and incomplete sentences. Yeah, yeah. 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 So that's the maybe the content of the thoughts. What about like how? What's the like sensation of thinking? What's the and what's the quality of thinking in some kind of way? What does that feel like? You you might have some ideas, or if anybody else has some ideas, it's, I know it's not a the usual type of question, but. A manic feeling. Jumpy. Jumpy. Anxiety-inducing. Yeah, anxiety-inducing, yeah. 
agitated. Yeah, this is a good word. These are all good words. So there can be feel like um like this almost like this obsessive pressure, right? The thinking like zing 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 kind of feeling maybe or uh, um I, I, for me sometimes I feel like the uh the balls that are bouncing around in my body as well as the thoughts. Maybe that's what kind of the incomplete thoughts are. They're like jumbled around or something. Or it can be one little sentence or one thing that just gets stuck and going round and around and around and it can't quite get... It doesn't go anywhere, but it has this uh, uncomfortable quality to it. So for those of you who couldn't hear, he was describing how when he was younger he would experience anxiety visually as words zooming in. Yeah, so we all, I think, have had you know, this restlessness. Sometimes it's called restlessness and worry. Sometimes it's associated with uh, anxiety or just some general agitation. And it can show up in um, a number of ways. But some of the conditions that uh, underlie this restlessness, often it's translated restlessness and worry. One is if we have this belief, if we have this notion, if we have this idea that only our thinking can lead to wisdom. We just have to think more, think harder, think somehow, and that will solve everything. So there's this real pressure to think, 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 to try to figure it out and, you know, push, make something happen by thinking about it or have a different past by thinking about it or this kind of pressure of that we're putting on thinking without recognizing that um, our direct experience, sensations in the body and what's happening right now in the present moment actually can have a big impact on our understanding and can provide some wisdom as opposed to just thinking about things. Something else that can communicate, that can um, fuel, underlie, support the feelings of this restlessness is a lot of communication just over and over, talking, texting, emailing, nonstop. There's this it um, there's this way in which we're kind of like leaning forward and looking for stimulation out there constantly. As well as, I'm sure all of us have this experience, there may be some short little exchange that we have that um, sticks with us. It may have felt at the time like it was some small thing, but it stays in our minds and really fuels this thinking or this maybe an obsessive quality or upsetness or something like this. So there's a lot and lot of um, 
communication it makes it so that we feel like there's a, a self that we have to prop up and defend and people may say things that are provocative we may say things that are provocative and that just really promotes a sense of restlessness as opposed to having some space a little bit of space in our days which we can metabolize or digest what is happening and then worry right so worry is thinking that uh, it's things that might happen in the future with the it's not unusual for many of us to have received the message somehow that if you care about somebody if you love about if you love somebody you worry about them so it's part of uh, the way that we express or show ourselves that we love and care about people is to be imagining different futures for them and trying to keep them safe and make sure that they only have these particular futures and not these other futures. It could be for ourselves too. Maybe we don't feel quite um, settled or safe. We worry about the future. But also what uh, promotes restlessness is ideas about the past, regret, remorse. And in the um, Buddhist teachings, they make a clear distinction between guilt and remorse. And guilt is more centered on oneself. I'm a bad person. I shouldn't have done that. I'm never going to learn. I always do this. I can't believe I did this. I'm not going to do this again. I, 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 me, me, me. Whereas remorse is more like focusing on, oh, this was awful, the pain that happened, the harm that happened because I did this, because this arose. There's this difficulty that this other person experienced. There's this difficulty that I experienced. And the focus is on the difficulty. The focus is more on the harm. And when we feel that harm and we allow ourselves to feel that difficulty... This is really powerful. It's uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable. But it creates the conditions in which we are less likely to do this in the future. Whereas guilt is more just kind of this self-obsessive self just going around and around and around. Doesn't have a way out. We're just beating ourselves up. Whereas remorse is more like, wow, that was a lot of harm. Maybe it's a small amount of harm, but to feel that. So some guilt can appreci- uh, uh, contribute to this restlessness as well. So one way to work with uh, restlessness is to practice with a wide-angle lens in some kind of way. So if we are feeling really restless, getting back to this idea of um, these little balls bouncing around in too small of a space... Maybe it's kind of like when you're in an elevator with um, people who are really big, tall people and they just all get crammed into this elevator and you're just going up and up and you're kind of stuck in there. And then, ding, the door opens and you walk into a cathedral. It's quiet, really big, beautiful still all the same people. They're still as tall, they're still as big. I say tall because I'm not so tall, right? So this is... But to 
you're, but you're just in a bigger space. And you just allow them to be there. So in some way we can kind of like open up our awareness, open up our attention in a way that allows these other things to be here, but they aren't, aren't causing, they, their problem is drained out of them, problemness. And then something else that we can do with working with restlessness is let me just uh, turn towards what might be fueling this, what might be underneath it. Maybe it's frustrated desire. Maybe it's pent-up aversion. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's resentment. Maybe it's physical pain. So with our meditation, maybe we can turn towards that turn towards the resentment, turn towards the pain as a way and see if we can hold that and be mindful with that. And then again, in that case, it's no longer, the um, restlessness isn't uh, no longer a problem. We're now just with an object for meditation and it's the object that's underlying the restlessness. So in this way, we can be mindful of what's underlying the restlessness. Are there any comments or questions about restlessness or worry? Or do you have some experience of it that I I didn't talk about or share? Okay. So briefly, the tool that we're using, there's lots of tools we can use with meditation. The one that we're offering for this uh, hindrance class is R-A-F-T, recognize, allow, feel. So when we say feel, we mean like feel in the body. Often these things are experiences in the mind or maybe thoughts or something, but feel the physical experience. If it's sleepiness, feel the heaviness. Where in your body do you feel the heaviness? Shoulders, maybe behind the eyes. If you feel restless, where do you feel that? Maybe it's in the belly, in the chest. Let's feel. And then T is to tease apart. Tease apart the actual experience from the uh, response to that. They sometimes get conflated. You may feel really tired and, and drowsy, and there may be aversion. I wish this weren't so. And some anger that you're, you're, here's my opportunity to meditate and I'm falling asleep. So if you can tease apart the response to actual event and rest your awareness on the actual experience. Often it's in the body is the easiest to do. It's a little bit more tangible. So let's do a guided meditation. But maybe we'll stand up first just to bring some energy or some uh, limberness or looseness. Make it a little bit easier to... Some brightness in the mind and body. You've already been sitting for some time. I don't want to 
make you sit still for, we'll just do, we won't do very long, just maybe two or three hours. (laughs) No problem. begin this meditation, it can be helpful to do three long, slow, deep breaths as a way to connect with the body and connect with the present moment. and allowing the breath to return to normal. We can just feel these general sensations of breathing. The movements in the body that are associated with breathing. You might feel this in the movement of the chest, maybe the movement of the abdomen, or maybe the feeling of air going in and out of the nose. Wherever you feel it, wherever it's accessible, wherever it feels supportive, you can rest your awareness there and just hang out with these sensations. in particular needs to be happening. We're just being mindful of the sensations of breathing. If you find yourself lost in thought, it doesn't have to be a problem. We just very simply, gently come back to the sensations of breathing.
Right now there's nowhere else to be and nothing else to do. We're just here now, resting our attention on the movements of the body associated with breathing. does breathing feel like, like from the inside? Not thinking about breathing, but sensing breathing. Is an inhale. How does that feel compared to an exhale? Just bringing a little flavor of curiosity to our mindfulness. just check in with that energy level. Is there any sense of energy dropping, sloth and torpor? Or maybe a sense of restlessness, just not really wanting to sit still or able to sit still, or maybe the thoughts are zooming around. Just doing a gentle inquiry. How's the energy level? We don't have to make it a problem. We can just recognize, oh, yeah, the energy's a little bit low. Oh, it's a little high. Energy feels fine. However it is, can you just allow it to be there that way without making it a problem, without creating a project that you have to somehow make it be different? And maybe just hang out here and get to, get to know this energy state.
if it feels like it's shifting, you can come back to the sensations of breathing. Or if you ever feel a little bit lost or confused, you can always come back to the sensations of breathing. does your energy state feel in the body? Are there areas that feel like zinging, perhaps? Or maybe there are areas that feel heavy. Can you allow, whatever you discover, can you allow it to just be there? And maybe with an attitude of curiosity. Wow, what's going on here? As you get to know the sensations of the energy level, whether it's low or high, maybe it's fine. Can you notice that there's the experience of high, low, okay energy and our reaction, our response? to that experience. Can you tease those two apart? Again, if you ever lost or not quite sure what to do, we can always come back and hang out with the sensations of breathing. You might recognize, oh, the energy state's a little bit different now. Can you allow that to be there? And feel it in the body. It's a way to ground it in the present moment. Make it a little more tangible.
And then to end this meditation, you can feel the pressure of the chair or the cushion against your body. Feel your feet on the ground. And when you're ready, you can gently open your eyes. like to hear a little bit from you. How was that? How was that meditation? Were you able to connect to different energy levels or was it, uh, could you feel it in the, in the body? Let's see if we can send a microphone. I'm not sure where the microphones are yet. So I think we have up here. Thank you. So I kind of feel like if I'm awake, I should be doing something. Oh. And and doing something for whatever reason in my mind does not include sitting still and trying to meditate. So I'm either awake trying to do something or I'm sleeping. Yeah. Yeah. This in-between state I'm finding a little bit difficult. I have today looming over here and tomorrow (laughs) looming over there and I have this much space in between to try and figure out how to stay in the now be mindful yeah yeah this is not uncommon right of course we kind of so many of us have are really busy and we have this really long uh, to-do list do you have a sense of what might help uh, support uh, being in being, being saying like, okay, I'm going to take this amount of time and I'm going to do, quote unquote, meditation. So, so here's the deal. I recognize that this is a problem. <laughs> and um, I'm accepting that it's a problem. Now I need to figure out how to um, feel it in my body so that I can recognize it easier. Do you understand what I mean yeah, by that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think I'm doing the first two okay. I'm getting stuck with the FNT part again. Perfectly fine, perfectly fine. This is great that just to recognize this, right? That um, how often, this is a big part of meditation, is we start to learn things about ourselves and learn about how we orient ourselves in towards the world and towards our day and get some insights into what makes us tick and what kind of things push us around and what things support us. It's fantastic. And then and then I, I notice when I start to feel too restless or you know whatever. Um, if I if I start thinking too much then my mind kind of shuts down and goes to the torpor place yeah. because I just can't can't think about anything else anymore right now. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Thank you for sharing this. It's not uncommon to uh, go back and forth between these two extremes, restlessness or torpor, and then restlessness and then torpor. Yeah, so this definitely 
softens to, with greater practice. I can assure you this. This is not uncommon, especially in the beginning, to kind of have these different um, extremes, maybe, of our experience. I figured that practice <laughs> was going to do it. <laughs> Great. Anybody else have a comment or question they'd like to? Yeah. Um, yeah, I felt in this little meditation that I was going back and forth a lot between these two things. Uh, usually when I'm meditating, the main thing that is a hindrance for me is the restlessness. Like, uh, you know, um, just my mind racing and often it's worrying about something or planning something in the immediate future or uh, something like that. I also don't uh, sleep as well as I want sometimes. And uh, so sometimes, especially in the evening, I can be very sleepy and I don't, I, I, I have trouble, you know, um, distinguishing something that's just a healthy <laughs> needing more sleep from not having enough energy and uh, and uh, uh, the, the kind of sloth and torpor that's a hindrance. Sometimes I feel like I'm just like constantly beset by one or the other of these things and, mm-hmm. and uh, it's uh, very difficult to uh, find periods in in a meditation session where I, I don't feel either of them. Mm. Yeah, so one thing that might be able to um, help to know whether it's just like sleep deprivation that is uh, contributing to this is to see, okay, what happens if um, you sleep or lay down at least for you know, 15, 20 minutes or something, just a really short time. And if there's a sense of refreshment afterwards, like, okay, then uh, that was what was needed. But if you wake up later and you still kind of have the same feeling that like, okay, there might be something more. I don't know, I'm just offering this as a suggestion as something to explore. It's not uncommon, right, for us to have difficulty sleeping and then we can't it shows up, of course, in meditation as, as well as in all other areas of our lives and not be able to quite connect with uh, what we want to do and then to be pinging back and forth between restlessness and sloth and torpor. Thank you. Thank you. Um, two observations I had one is that my mind can get really restless and it's like I've forgotten is, is the microphone on? I'm not, it is on okay, okay. And, so you can get really restless I'm sorry um, but it's like I basically get stuck in something because I've realized I've forgotten something <laughs> and then it's very hard to let go of because I'm like the only thing I can think of is I'm like if I could just write it down then I could let it go and I could go back to meditating <laughs> but it's really hard at that point point because I'm like oh I forgot to put that in my calendar I forgot like oh I have an appointment I never put it in and it's like I'm not quite sure what because it's very hard to let go because I'm like I've I've forgotten it now I've remembered it yeah 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 and this is not uncommon right when the mind starts to calm down all these things pop up like oh yeah this we have these creative ideas and things that we forgot and all this stuff there's two things you can do about what you're just describing. One is some people do, especially earlier in their meditation practice, have a notepad next to them and will jot something down so that they can just uh, get it out of the mind. It's just a quick something. 
The second is to um, help you remember it in the future so that you can put down, is to spend like, okay, I'm going to spend a short amount of time here because I'm meditating, not doing this. Just visualize, okay, when I'm finished here and visualize yourself doing this, I'm going to put this in my calendar for... And that often, like, instead of like, I gotta put that in my calendar, I gotta put that in my calendar, just actually, as best you can, visualize yourself doing that, what it will feel like to put in the calendar, spend 30 seconds, one minute doing that, and that can help make so that you'll remember it. Um, The second observation I had, which is, I've been struggling with it since I've started, is that I have a really hard time with guided meditations, and I think I kind of I may have kind of realized part of what it was today, which is that I my mind actually gets very restless when when there are like other people talking, <laughs> and so I get all of a sudden I'll end up with more thoughts, and it's very hard to get like kind of just let them settle down on their own. And so I kept on going like, okay, I'm just going to go back to my breath. I'm going to go back to my breath, and then I'm like, but I'm doing a guided meditation, <laughs> and I just keep on. It's almost like I'm blocking it out because. I find it very hard to pay attention to it without getting pulled into it and all the thoughts that I yeah. had started. Yeah. So there's a few things I could say. This one, it's very common, of course, right? The way that you meditate is not the same way that I meditate. Where, I mean, we have our different pace and you, yeah, all that kind of stuff, right? So it's not going to be perfect for maybe anybody except me, right? The one who's doing this. But what you can do, and you said there's all these thoughts, turn towards those thoughts. Is there like some aversion? Like, oh, why is she saying that? Why is she doing this pace? Why is the, there may be this feeling of like, ugh. And we'll talk about this next week, kind of this feeling of aversion. It doesn't feel right. Or maybe it's the opposite. Wow, that feels so great. It's so relaxing. Why don't I have this at home? I'm just making this up. To notice the the quality of the thoughts or the tone of the thoughts and that can be a hindrance of what's getting in the way to just allowing the meditation to proceed. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, I think for me it's just I get lost in my thoughts. Like I just want to think more. <laughs> like I'm like, oh, let me examine what she's saying and let me... And I then see. I just, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, how long ago was I... How long have I been out there <laughs> doing that? <laughs> I think this is something that with some practice, right, we can... Yeah, thank you. So let's... uh, There's some more things that we can explore here, and it can be really helpful to kind of talk about this and share it with other people. And first, uh, to hear ourselves say things, like uh, to have to formulate answers to some questions, as well as to hear what are some other people's comments or answers to uh, some of these questions that I'm going to give you. So why don't you get into groups of three? I didn't count, so I don't know if it's even. So three or four, and then um, I'll give you some questions.
Okay. So here's the first question. And this is just like one or two words. This is, do you have a sense of A, do you, does your mind tend towards more of the sloth and torpor or tend more towards the restlessness? Or maybe it's both and you're not sure. So you can just go around and like, hi, I'm Susie and I'm restless. You know, something like that. <laughs> So, um, and the person that's, if you don't know who's going to start, it'd be the person closest to this big window. This is more just a you know a brief statement. You'll have a chance to talk more about it. So are we f- close to finishing up? You guys are. You're all looking at me. So, <laughs> okay, okay. So here's the second question. Do you have a sense? Do you have some ideas? What might be some factors that are underlying this, that are fueling this, that are supporting this. This could be either in your life or in your meditation that supports the restlessness or the um, sloth and torpor. You might not know exactly, but what are some ideas you might have about it? And, And in the same way, you can go around the circle. So how how was that? Did you learn anything? Was uh, maybe some new ideas, some new insights, um, um, maybe new approaches, attitudes? Anything anybody would like to share? Or you could talk about what was that like to 
answer those questions. Maybe you hadn't thought about them before. Maybe you realized that you had more wisdom about these things than you thought you did, or maybe you had some new insights. Anything anybody would like to share? So I liked hearing from the other people, and it made me think differently about some things. And uh, I found it enlightening. Yeah. Just hearing other people's, uh, the way that they think about things. Yeah, yeah. Great. Thank you. We were just really, uh, I forget your name. Kumi. Kumi. We were, um, Kumi was telling us how regularly she practices in that as a challenge for me. And I just sort of wonder, sort of to the room, what are some tips on how to get your practice really regular? Yeah, yeah. Consistent. Yeah. This is not uncommon, of course, right? It's the same thing. Go to the gym, eat right, you know, <laughs> meditate, right? It's all the same things, right? So um, here are a few things. One is to um, choose a time, of course, that, and you can experiment with this. A lot of people uh, meditate in the morning. For me, I uh, I do a lot of work from home, so I like to meditate like mid-morning after I've gotten a little bit of work done, and then like, okay, now I'm going to meditate. I don't know, somehow I discovered that works for me. Some people like to do it at the beginning of the day. And um, to find a place uh, that feels safe and comfy and make it meaningful in whatever way that makes sense to you. Some people like to have a candle or something like an altar or maybe a nice cushion or a nice chair or something like that. And then a big part of this is to have a contingency plan. Like, okay, I'm going to set this intention to meditate regularly, or mid-morning, first thing in the morning. And if that doesn't work because of X, Y, or Z, then I will do something else. Then I will meditate after dinner or before dinner. And it's this second part that makes a big difference, this contingency plan. Because often what happens is like, oh, okay, I didn't do that. And we just blow it off. And then off we go, kind of get into this uh, idea of, um, you know, oh, this is hard and I can't do it. And we kind of get into this uh, cycle. So that's one, set up a time and a contingency plan. Two, Appreciate those times when mindfulness just kind of spontaneously arises. You're standing in line, and before you pick up your phone, you realize, oh, I'm actually noticed that I'm standing here. And just appreciate those times, those 30 seconds, those 10 seconds when they arise, and just noticing, recognizing that just makes it more... uh, more likely that that will happen throughout the day. So maybe there isn't a formal meditation period, but maybe there's a collection of mindfulness that happens repeatedly throughout the day. So just appreciate when that happens. It's the second thing to do. 
A third thing is kind of building on that is to choose some activities in which to be mindful. You might have heard this. Brushing one's teeth is a typical one. For that two minutes, taste the toothpaste, feel the water, feel the toothbrush in your hand, and just be present then. And this trains the mind. It makes it easier and easier to be mindful. It doesn't matter what object we choose to be mindful of. So brushing the teeth is one. Washing the dishes is another one. Um, and then some uh, some people do things that happen a lot, like walking through doorways. Just bring attention to your feet while you're walking through a doorway. So we're just training the mind you know, like to just come back and for us to be present with it. So we do that formally on the cushion, but we can also do it off the cushion. And that way, I don't know, those are some ideas. Is that helpful? Can you talk a little bit about teasing out, teasing yeah, apart? Yeah, so tease apart is this idea that there's the, we'll just use this generic word, event for um, what we've been talking about today is uh, energy levels, so either too high or too low. And preceding that we have in this RAFT is feeling in the body. So often, here's an example, could be if you feel tired, there could be this feeling of heaviness and kind of like going forward and you could just feel, what does that feel like in the body? I feel my shoulders growing a little bit forward. I feel um, my eyes have this tiny... So feel that in the body. And then recognize that there's a, a mental event that often happens right after that. I wish this weren't like this. I'm supposed to be meditating, but I'm like this. So to tease apart the physical, the actual experience from our the commentary we have about it, the thinking that follows it, the reaction we have to it. The thinking, the commentary will spin around nonstop. That if we come to the actual felt sensation, that is a little bit more tangible and we can hang out there and be with that. Okay, so it's 9.01. I don't want to take anybody's uh, time. I want to respect your time. I'll stay here if you have some more questions or comments. Otherwise, um, I wish you all a wonderful evening, and perhaps I'll see you next week. Thank you.